0: Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world.
1: Plus, we'll answer our listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show.
2: Today, we are talking with Barbara DeVries, an accomplished creative who's had an incredible career as a fashion designer launching CK at Calvin Klein in the early 90s, followed by her own namesake collection, a creative director who's worked on projects for Ralph Lauren and Pantone, a bookmaker who started her own publishing and media studio, Gordon DeVries. Uh, She's also had a life as a model and as an environmental activist. I encourage everyone to go watch her TED Talk about her project, Plastic is Forever. Um, And today we are talking with Barbara about her new book, Coming home, modern, rustic, creative living in, D- with in Dutch interiors. Welcome.
3: Well, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh,
2: we're so excited to have you here. Yes,
3: welcome to what the show. A background. It was right? so fun to dive into. And it was so nice to hear it because if you don't live it, <laughs> the way you hear it.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you've had such an adventurous path that has led you to creating this book, Coming Home. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey?
3: Yes. So I, I left the Netherlands kind of as soon as I could, which was about age 18. And I, I was modeling at the time, and I went to Paris, and that didn't work out very well. And then I was sent to Australia, which was the other side of the world, and that just seemed perfect it was so far away. And then after that, I never really came home as such. I mean, I would spend weekends and maybe a week here and there, but but I I really had no desire. Once I started traveling to uh, to move back to the Netherlands, and I ended up studying in the in the UK in London. Then I had my own company there for several years, and then I came to New York. And after New York, I lived, moved outside the city. I, I lived in Princeton for a while. And now we live in uh, Milford, Pennsylvania, which is about 90 minutes from the city. And my daughters, when they turned 18, went to my mother's 90th birthday party and realized they had a whole bunch of cousins they'd never seen before. And they were also at that age where they were starting to look at colleges and also how they kind of wanted to live and and how life looked in other places. And they, they loved Amsterdam and I started seeing it through their eyes and yeah, it just became... I kind of relived my own childhood, partly, and I just saw all the things they loved about it. So then they ended up going to college in the Netherlands. They applied and they got into two separate art colleges. They're twins, by the way. I hadn't said that. And through their eyes, I saw all of the Netherlands and I started really falling in love with it again. And and I was inspired by the way people lived there as opposed to in the United States, some of the values that were different and. At the time, I found it very inspirational, still do, but at the time that was particularly important, it was about four years ago. So yeah, that's what started me thinking about the book or creating something that might be equally aspiring in this country and that would just show a different lifestyle. That's not that different because, you know, the Dutch are capitalists, and, but a little bit socialist as well, although less and less, but it's a nice combination to see that that can work in some countries. Um, so, yeah, and I wanted to bring all that across in the book, that it wasn't that alien and at the same time um, inspiring. So I was kind of wondering if you could kind
0: of explain to people a little bit about how you, some of those overarching themes and values that you talk about and why you felt like they were just sort of broadly celebrated by the culture, I guess.
3: Yes. I, well, I think the Netherlands have a very long history of reclaiming. I mean, the, what I think it's thirty to forty percent of the land that they live on now is reclaimed land. So it was sea, ocean beforehand, and now it is land. So it's it's in our DNA to to make use of what's there and and reclaim it and make it slightly different. So I think that in and of itself creates a very different mindset than, for instance, living in America where you have vast amounts of land that have been unexplored, that there are actually pieces of land in this country that probably people never set foot on. Whereas in the Netherlands, I'm pretty sure that every single piece of land at some point has been touched by someone. So I think that creates a kind of person that is, on the one hand, very in touch with where they live and in touch with that kind of nature, and at the same time feels that they kind of are in control of nature and the environment they live in. I, since the 60s, I think they've probably be, been more aware of it than, than some countries, just because people kind of started to think about recycling and alternative energy and all those things. And it, it, it seemed to make more sense in the Netherlands because they knew just kind of because of all that history, how they would have to live in the future. So my generation, I grew up in the 60s and 70s particularly, was very sensitive to that. All the kids in my school, in my class, went on to study sociology and, and 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 similar subjects, whereas I went on to study fashion. So I was kind of the odd one out. Might have something to do with with why I left so quickly. <laughs> but um, so now, when I went back there, I just found a culture that was already incredibly rooted in recycling and reusing and and living a more green and careful and simple lifestyle then, you know, the excesses of our culture in the United States and developing countries like China, where it's still very desirable to have a lot and to show that you have a lot. Of course, the Netherlands are also a Calvinist country. So they were always about not showing your wealth, not being overtly out there with, with your riches, but being modest about it.
0: I loved how diverse the types of dwellings were. Like, I don't know that there were there might have been like two or three that were more traditional houses, but it was like barns, train stations, boats, um, windmills an auto shop. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh, An old garage. Yeah. I I loved seeing how is that out of necessity? Like there's not enough structures. Is that just the types of sort of individuals you were picking because they did have really
1: unusual stories? Or is that like you were saying, like where people are reusing even dwellings versus the United States, where we knock it down and start over?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think in the United States, obviously, there's a trend of reusing old warehouses and making them into loft buildings and stuff like that. And it, it, it tends to happen with artists' housing. So I think that's probably mostly what I picked up on because I found those houses the most inspiring. But I think there's also an element that just more of them, I mean, you know, it's just kind of inevitable that in a very old country like that, that you're going to have more old houses. And obviously, they're so beautiful, whatever structure it is, whether it's an old garage, very old garage, or or an old windmill, or uh, a boat. They're attractive buildings and, and the kind of people that that want to live in them are creative people that see a space like that. And I think that is some, a theme that I kind of bring throughout the book is that they walk into a wreck of a boat or a wreck of a, of a warehouse or a wreck of a garage or a barn or a farm and they go, they see what it's going to be. They don't see what it is, but with their creative minds, they see what they can do with it and they have challenged and excited by that. And therefore, they're, they can take it on and make it look amazing. Those are also the people that I picked because I hope that they certainly inspired me and that they will, through that kind of work, inspire other people as well.
2: Yeah. Each of the spaces that you highlighted. So in the book, you go over 14 different homes and each one of them is a creative couple that has reclaimed this space. And each of them is quirky and full of art and oddities, but there's also a beautiful simplicity and a definite sense of function in these spaces because a lot of them, the artists or the the homeowners are living and working in their, in their same spaces. There's a beautiful function to it. And there's also a very beautiful sense of, of comfort in the design of each of these spaces, too, you have a word for it. And I'm going to totally butcher it now. It Gezellig? Please correct me. Please correct me.
3: It's gezellig.
2: Yeah, no, I would never have gotten that.
3: <laughs> and the word sounds a little bit more... Like what it is when we Dutch people pronounce it, than when you know, gezellig has a sort of coziness to it, right? The way it sounds. To it's me it beautiful
1: when
0: you say it, yeah. right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Can you explain? Tell everybody what what that word means.
3: Oh, it's a combination of cozy, definitely cozy, family and friends. Um, it has a little bit of humor in it, and it's certainly a big sense of belonging. I think those are probably the four adjectives that I would use for gezellig, but there isn't really one word that really replaces it in the English language because cozy doesn't quite do it. Cozy is a little bit more, is smaller, whereas gezellig is all-encompassing. Anything can be gezellig. You can go out for dinner with a bunch of friends in the evening, it can be gezellig. A house can be gezellig, you know, certain ex- other experiences can be gezellig. So it has it has a broader use. So,
0: okay. I I actually also happened to just read this book about Dutch parenting. So it talks a lot about that as well. It seems like it's such an important like value in Dutch life. And I felt like us Americans, we need to bring more of that into our worlds. What are some of the ways that you feel like we can do that? Like you talk in the book about, or you just mentioned like
3: gathering. Right. Well, I can maybe best answer that from my own Personal experience growing up as a child in the Netherlands, and then seeing I have three daughters, seeing how they grew up in America, and they we first they first went to school in in Pennsylvania, and then eventually they went to high school in Miami. So we lived in Miami for nine years. So have a bit of a broad spectrum, and then I lived in New York City. Obviously, I think the biggest difference in the Netherlands is that children age. Really, as soon as they can start riding a bicycle. And if you think about what that must do to a child, that when they are three years old, they can, you know, ride around the yard or the playground. When they're five or six, they can ride their bicycle to their friends up the street. When they're eight, nine, 10, depending on where the school is, they will ride their bicycle to school. And in their teens, they can get on their bicycle and go to parties and do Saturday nights and just are completely free and independent. I had my daughters in the back of my car until they were 18 years old. So that's, to me, that is the answer to so much because I think that sense of independence carries over in everything. I think because you're independent from very early on, you have a bigger sense of responsibility for yourself. So you don't, as a teenager, maybe don't have to try out as much because you already learned how to be independent. You didn't have to make that break, big break from your parents. Maybe the way the schools are set up. I mean, schooling is very, very local. I would always go for lunch, at home for lunch and bring friends with me. So, you know, it was like a 10 minute walk. So there was more of a flow from home to work. I cannot speak about conventional family setups because my family is a complete mess. My father died when I was three. My mother remarried. She married a gentleman who'd been married twice before. My father had been married before. This also had a lot to do with the war. I mean, the war was, was, was 10 years before I was born, but the parents went through it. So, and some parents, you know, were already married when they went in there. And so I think that messed up a lot of values and a lot of sense of stability and maybe a sense of not wanting stability. So I think families of my generation were not very traditional. Mine certainly wasn't.
0: What about like gathering and entertaining, even just casually? Yeah.
3: Very casual. I mean, my mother would, would, I think I have this in the book, because we in Amsterdam don't have curtains in the windows, so everybody can look in. So when your friends walk by, they, they see you in the kitchen. And my mother's kitchen was right on the street. So she would open the window and chat with her friends. And often they would be invited in and they would stay for dinner. And it was very, very easygoing and casual. We did have Christmas dinners where we had would people invite people, big groups to 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 dinner. Uh, Family-wise, we were not very connected, so I maybe can't speak to that personally. But I think social contacts are much easier. Dating was something I didn't know what it was until I came to New York City, because in the Netherlands you just you know you met someone you liked, you would hang out with them, and either you it, you become boyfriend girlfriend or not. So. <laughs> I I guess it was all you know there wasn't that much pressure on on those kinds of relationships and I see the pressure that puts on my daughters so yeah I think it's all those contact and, and entertaining wise my mother didn't really wasn't really a big entertainer as such but she had a beautiful home we had the windmill at the weekends where people would visit so it was all there but it was much more spontaneous I guess.
1: Do you feel like then the inheritance of these antiques is different than here even? I say that in the sense that these homes felt very lived in, or right. these spaces. I won't right. call them homes because they were such, they were very cool, different dwellings. But do you think do parents still hand down their tables? Is it the same as here, I guess, is the
3: question? I Yes, I think. I think so. I know that when my mother moved from her big house to a much smaller house, an assisted living facility, she had a lot of extra furniture and I was sent a big box of of some of the stuff. So I even had some things (laughs) here and one is an antique merry-go-round horse that my father gave me for my birth. So I got that, um, and there's a painting that used to belong to my father, and that was special to me because he died when I was so young, and, mm-hmm. and several other pieces. So yes, and then my brother and sister also got se- several other pieces. So I don't know if that's the same or not, but I do think that, because again, it's such an old culture, and people do like new things in the Netherlands, but therefore you have a much larger market of second hand stuff i think when you go to france for instance the amount of flea markets in belgium you know it's just overwhelming and that the amount of new stuff new old stuff that 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 comes up on those markets all the time and and the prices also are much lower so i think there's maybe more of it and what's interesting one of the the women in my book loves you know just coll- collects almost everything i don't know if you saw that that's the it's the one with the blue house and um, mm-hmm. And she collects absolutely everything. She goes to flea markets and 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 puts it together in a very special way. But but she said that um, that she thinks that IKEA has a lot to do with so much old stuff coming on the market because people do want new things and they can they get rid of the old stuff and then there are a lot of people like her that see the value of the Mm. of the stuff that ends up in the flea markets so she collects old ladies (laughs) scarves silk scarves and she makes them into curtains and she collects uh, old woolen blankets and she cuts them up and makes them into poofs and she has all these amazing collections that she feels are a byproduct of stores like ikea fast fashion fast furniture that kind of thing
0: what did seem like there were a couple couple different people in the book who were living in their childhood home the gentleman who like built his the staircase yes they t- definitely do <laughs> <laughs> and so that was kind of cool too because it's Yeah, I mean, not exactly to what you're saying, Taryn, where they inherited
3: furniture, but they inherited their house. So they they inherited not not only the house, but they also are just obsessed with with never buying anything new, and they live in a very fancy area of Utrecht, and um, they have for the last twenty years, maybe longer. taken in almost every good piece of furniture that gets thrown out by their neighbors because all the the grand gentleman houses around them on the canal have been fixed up over the years. And so all kinds of stuff gets thrown out. They have a Murano chandelier from by the from from the garbage. They have a piano from the garbage. They have beautiful other pieces of furniture that they found by the dump. So their house is particularly interesting because it's a great house. I mean, it's it's, it's so full of stuff.
1: I it's love beautiful. that house.
3: Yeah, and almost all of that is picked up from, you know, what somebody left out. And you wouldn't know it. Wow,
0: no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really appreciated how the many not not all of them some of them had newer houses but I felt like a lot of the dwellings like really embraced the imperfections of the spaces you know for example maybe they would have really worn wood floors or trim work that was not perfect or fixed sort of let it age and patina beautifully or like brick walls that were original and really just like embracing the quirkiness and and age of the home whereas I feel like here often we sort of want to fix everything we want everything to look like new you know like we power wash everything and we have people come and like make sure everything looks as though it was just created whereas there it's the beauty was in the imperfections I don't know I felt like there was there's so much to that that we should we should all embrace and it was a good good reminder Now, my house is not like a 200-year-old farmhouse. I know, it's harder. People say it's different. When the floors
3: get scuffed, they just look scuffed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But wait for another 200 years. Right, right. Your future great-grandchildren may enjoy that. I often look at, at, at things around my house because we added a new modern section to the old. And in the old, we love how old it looks. And then I look at the new section and I go, well, at some point, this is going to look old. Like the other section right now, it just looks scuffed. (laughs)
1: Was there anything you did to try to make the new section blend in? Or did you just let it be the new section to your home?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I wanted to get an old barn and add that to the old house so that everything would be old. Because I love the old beams and everything else. And my husband is an architectural critic and he knows So many are great architects. So we we were asked to do a book about these architects, and then we did a collaboration and kind of an exchange, and they came up with a drawing, and and they came up with a very, very beautiful modern edition. So what we added is modern. Everything is modern. We kept the beams, the new, um, what are they called? What are those beams called that are kind of glued together? Huge beams we have, but they're new. So, they're very new wood. They have all the numbers of the of the of the you know the serial numbers of the wood on them. Some of them have footsteps from the from the builders on them, and we just left it that way because in a I way it was using and and they look nice and clean and everything else. It was just those little touches we left on them because i in that instance, I felt that in 200 years time, that was going to be really cool to be able to see all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the yeah. name of no, the RV. No, totally right. Yeah. <laughs> so we did a little bit of that, We, but we created a connection between the old and the new that way.
0: Do you want to speak to, I feel like just the time that we're living in, and Liz, you sort of mentioned earlier that a lot of the, the people in the book, many of their homes were like part uh workspace their workspaces or workshops I mean a lot of them were creative so maybe they had like a design business they ran out of their home and I was you know just in this time where we're all working from home and and working from home is like this but you wrote the book many years ago so it's very timely
3: yes it it was definitely there was some strange foresight involved in being turned on by people that worked from home. It also kind of came with the territory, like you said, because they're all creative. But then there are a couple that have their outside studios as well. So they work both at home and they have bigger studio areas um, elsewhere nearby. But 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 yeah, it's interesting that, that's, that that has become such a thing through a very negative experience. And I think a lot of people enjoy working from home. They may not quite know how to deal with their spaces, their available spaces, um, to create kind of that separation between home and work or make home more enjoyable because you're working there or make work more enjoyable because you live there. Um, And I think that might be one of the biggest cultural things that we're going to be be figuring out in our home life over the next few years. And, And it'll be interesting to see um, it'd be interesting to do some kind of visual of what a house looked like before the pandemic when people worked at a job and what a house looks like after the pandemic or during when they were working from home. I think it's different for everyone and and, um, and for every kind of job. I mean, if you can you know, turn what used to be your gym workout room or even laundry room into an office so you have a private space, that's fantastic. I think the creatives in my book, obviously didn't think that way. They were thinking of creating a space where they could live equal to the space where they would work. And, and in most people's houses, because of this change, it becomes a make-do situation. So how do you make that make-do situation a uh, exciting challenge? And maybe there is some inspiration in the book to be able to do that i don't know if that answers your question but yeah
0: well so
2: you said in that the workspace was equal to the live space like how does that was it in importance or physical space or are there any tips that you saw from going through these homes like that we could use in our houses
3: yeah well Obviously, with creatives who can work from My husband and I both work from home, and I've started doing that in, since, when was it, 1993, 94, when I left Calvin Klein, and I didn't have to go back into an office, but I had my own lines and everything else. So we got this amazing old terracotta factory in, in Princeton. It was 3000 square feet of floor space. And we separated it and we made one half the living area and one half the studio area for both of us. And then inside the living area were also two office spaces. It was so inherent to what we do and what we needed that we didn't really think about it. That's just what we needed. So therefore it it was like the first design prompt for our architects that we worked with. So the difference is that that people in creative professions go in not saying, I need three bedrooms and three bathrooms and a study and a dining room or whatever. But I need a studio and I need a workspace, a living space. That's how you start. So it's, it's so kind of, yeah, it's also already so integrated in the way we live and work. And that's why it's going to be so interesting to see how people are going to be dealing with that who now need to think that way, who go into a house that they want to buy and they're going to look at it and they're going to go, okay, that's where I'm going to live, but where am I going to work? We didn't ask ourselves that question three years ago. And that's really interesting. I really loved
0: the, um, the house that was sort of like built into the dune. Oh,
3: it's my favorite.
0: Oh and then the, but but I loved on that one because the sort of the I guess it was sort of like a loft it was kind of hard to tell but it was sort of this hump on the top of the dune and that was where the workspace was it looked like that it, it was in sort of like the what looked like maybe the third floor is that am I right that's what it looked like from the photo (laughs) yes it looked like there were two floors that were like the living space and then the third sort of lofted area was yes
3: and then they even have a studio at the back end that that wasn't really finished yet when I got there so there's like another 500 square feet in the back that is like a painting studio and and making models and all that they that that couple are both architects she's more of an artist architect but he's more of a practical architect they are really interesting because they just there 's just the two of them they don 't have kids they don 't particularly entertain, so they see the space as something that f- constantly fluctuates with them, so now they have turned that upside the upstairs area that you that initially was their workspace into more of a living space. they probably used the studio in the back into more of a workspace they have a library it, but they 're constantly changing and playing with how they live in the space they 're completely open to. I mean, let's face it, they're they're kind of sleeping in what anybody else would make the living room. But it was the nicest space in the house. So she said, well, you know, I want to sleep there. And then she designed what looks like two sofas pushed together. So kind of creating putting the seats together, but a little bit wider apart than it would normally be. So you think you're looking at two sofas, but in fact, it's a bed that has two ends of the sofa on either side. It's hard to describe. And then the way they put the pillows in it also makes it look like a sofa. Yeah. I mean, even the way she put the tree trunks all the way to the ceiling. Right. The real tree it, trunks that guys, look like the trees that book. are right outside. Yes. Me. yeah, it, It's yeah. amazing.
1: It looks like the tree trunks are holding up the whole house. It's, I walked in.
3: It, as soon as I walked in, she gave me a, a cup of express espresso in a little cup, white cup with black wings. And I held the wings to drink my that's she's just fabulous she kind of throws you off a little bit all the time <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's fantastic I loved the home again you have like these tree trunks and then you have like glass railings yeah for this yeah, they're really it's good. just it's, really, it's really so good. interesting yeah yeah thank you mm-hmm.
0: I also was really interested in the kitchens throughout them like I They were so simple, and I loved that. You know, I feel like in design magazines in the U.S., all of the kitchens are these vast, vast spaces with tons of gadgets and cabinetry and storage, and it's like some of these houses probably could have fit in the kitchens that you would see in in a design magazine kitchen, you know? But I I really appreciated how simple they were and, and just very practical, and in many cases they almost didn't look like there was a kitchen in the house at all like they do you know what I'm trying
3: to say like yeah I do do. like they had
0: art in them and
3: yeah 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 I must admit I, I grew up in a very large kitchen so but the storage space was limited but don't forget that in in Europe and especially in the Netherlands people do their shopping on their bicycle so You couldn't have a Walmart, you couldn't go to Walmart and buy the amount of stuff you buy because it wouldn't fit on your bicycle. I mean, the first time I went and shopped for my daughters when they had found their apartment, I shopped as if I was in America, and I had all these bags. And I got outside, and there was my bicycle. <laughs> That's really good. Oh, <laughs> how
1: am I going to get this
3: home? I don't have the trunk of my jeep to throw it. On. <laughs> I would, I would buy a lot less. You're right. If I yeah, was on a you bicycle, buy a lot less. it's also yeah. around the corner. You can walk there. You can bicycle there. Everything is packaged smaller. Your tooth, the toothpaste is half the size of our toothpaste and it comes in one packet, not in a double packet. Your cereal is like you run out, you know, by our standards here, you run out in a day with the boxes of cereal, half a day. (laughs) It's like one serving of cereal. So here you can get a big pack for a month. (laughs) Right, exactly. But you also need the size cupboard for that. Just think, just the amount of the size cupboard you need for all that shopping to bring home. So I think it's. Yeah, it's, think about that. I think that the kitchens, the storage, definitely in kitchens is smaller. The refrigerators—they half the size of American refrigerators. It's really. It's kind of funny when you're there. You go, but they don't eat out more, right? They still cook. Oh, probably they just cook shop more, daily. Eating out, for, for, in my experience, eating out was always special. It's not something you did a lot, but. Maybe the portions are smaller. I don't know. I mean, it, it, things have changed a lot as well since since I lived there. But um, people buy what they cook on the day that they cook it. So in the morning, you think, oh, what am I going to eat tonight? And you shop for that and you cook it. Whereas here, I go, oh, what am I going to eat tonight? And I have it either in my larder or my freezer or in my cupboards. You know, it's it's different. It's, it's definitely different. I can't say I find one better than the other. I kind of like just having what I need in my house rather than having to run out every day. But the culture is is such. So I think that's one of the reasons the kitchens look the way they do. And the other one is that it's just not a big statement. They're not into making big statements. We, ha- we, we do these architecture books and, you know, these amazing architects, and they do these amazing houses. And the kitchens are always like kind of the centerpiece of the house and always the big gesture for the architect to do their thing. And then half the time, those architects tell us, well, yeah, but, you know, nobody cooks in that household. And when you go back later, there's pizza boxes everywhere. So it's not really functioning as much. It's more about, you know, I have this big kitchen and this is great. Look at it. Well, we've
1: talked about how the kitchen has, and everybody knows this, when you come over, if you're hosting people, everyone ends up in the kitchen. Right. And I assumed the reality of that was just the that, okay, well, we make bigger kitchens. We put our sofa that in our too. kitchen, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But to your point, if you're not using it, is it just wasted space?
3: Yeah. Well, I think they still all end up in the kitchen. Whether it's takeout (laughs) or whether you're cooking, I still think those kitchens are made to, you know, to be in. Yes. And they're often open, too. Open kitchens to an open dining room to an open living room. Yeah.
0: Well, do you all remember we had a guest on the show who was talking about a beautiful kitchen she did where the the homeowners wanted it to not look like a kitchen? And so they really had two kitchens. They had, like, their kitchen that was the center and then they had, like, a workspace that was sort of off of it where they – all the dirty stuff went and like they did all the practical stuff so that the main kitchen where everyone would be would stay like pristine, pristine. and beautiful yes, and like this yes. yeah i've and seen those and kitchen. it's just funny it's like, it's like- seen those
1: houses.
0: <laughs>
2: yes i assume
1: that's how mine will work i'll be just shoving everything in the pantry you know something that i can close but i don't think i'll ever live such a pristine life up front I think I'm well, too also, don't forget that
3: the, the Dutch really <laughs> like functionality. So functionality becomes a design statement. I mean, form follows function. It's very, very European um, verbiage to go by. So I think the functionality of a lot of those spaces determines how you engage with them. Yeah. These are all such unique spaces. How did you find them? Yeah, great
1: question. A lot
3: more. Yeah, great really? question. Let me think. What are you going to do with the rest of them?
1: You yeah, need to They, do weren't, they weren't
3: quite. They didn't m- quite okay. make the cut. Mm-hmm. I think I really ended up with the ones I ended up with because they were designed by the lives of the people that lived there. So mm. I didn't end up using any houses. Maybe they looked great that were designed by by um, interior designers and the people just stepped into them. And there, there were some beautiful houses that way, but I felt that the people that lived there had been rather disconnected from, from the process that made the space into what I was looking at. And what I liked about these houses was they were completely, again, form follows function. They actually became the form of the the way the people functioned in them and because they were creative people they became these amazing creative gestures
2: yeah and each one is so unique yeah, and so i guess yeah yes, very yeah. personalized they they definitely show each person's sensibilities and humor and the way that they choose to live their lives whether it's yeah. very minimal or maximal maximalist. Yeah. so it's very interesting. Yeah, each one, and
3: I kind of fell in love with every single one. I mean, I just felt such affinity for all these people as I learned about their lives, and I was so impressed by all of them too. I think there's not one um, couple or individual in the book that isn't somehow um, giving back to their own community, their immediate community, or or whether it's Africa or whether it's a, a place that they have some history in. But every single one is really big into giving back and sharing what they're good at and and making their community a better place because of it. And they do that with, with such, I don't know, first of all, with such passion, but also in such a natural way. And nobody really needs a red carpet or an award or anything like that for for just being responsible i was very almost humbled by that because you know a lot of people give back in 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 the united states and that's definitely a big thing here but boy do you know it most of the time and and what i liked about that these the all these people is that you don't it's just what they did it's just what you do and there's no questions asked yeah. Well, that seems to be a big part of your life and your practice as
2: well with your project, Plastic is Forever. Yes. You have gone across beaches and collected bits of plastic that you've then fashioned into jewelry yes. and clothing.
3: Yeah. yeah. And- yeah, that's how it started. And then and then what I realized was that that I by myself was never the amount of stuff I picked up and and made things from and selling it was never going to make any impact whatsoever on the amount of plastic that's out there. So I subsequently started going around coastal communities and teaching local communities how to pick it up and what they could do with it. A to to teach awareness of it and 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 B to We'll get a lot of people in touch with with not only their own creativity, but also understanding that that um, your perception of something as one way can change into a perception, completely different perception. So, what you see as garbage can actually be beautiful, and and for especially the children, that was a huge moment of of just I don't know enlightenment. I mean, I had kids that would that would come up to me and would just be awestruck and say you little kids like this was a five-year-old girl she came up her head came barely over the edge of the desk and she said you make beautiful from garbage and that was just and I must say she kind of pointed to verbalized something that I knew but I wasn't fully aware of and And so that is something I took a lot further than I did my initial you know it's where I came from. You had material, you make something out of it, you sell it. that was had been my my history. I got a lot more out of spreading the word and 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 making the awareness of the the plastic pollution problem um a bigger um reach, giving it a bigger reach. pebble in the pond, plastic in the pond kind of thing.
0: Well, <laughs> I think it's time for decorating dilemma.
1: She writes. So we moved into this great house this summer. While not a completely open concept floor plan, from the living room you easily see the kitchen, dining room, and front hall. The prior owners painted each room a different color, and the ceilings different colors from the walls in the kitchen and living room. Overall, the palette is complimentary, but not sure if it's quite my taste. I've lived in it for a while to see how I feel about it. I've decided that I like the the living room wall color, but not the ceiling. Also, not crazy about the dining room wall ceiling color. The living room gets some good natural light first thing in the morning, but after about 11, it gets a bit shaded. The walls are a shade of red that's somewhere between a terracotta and a berry. The ceiling is closer to the salmon color. I like the wall color. It makes the room cozy and us a little more fun than white. I'm not a fan of the ceiling color. It's okay in the natural light, but with the regular lighting in the evening, it's too pink and maybe just a too noticeable. I'm super sorry. My baby is being quite loud in the background. Um, Okay, she continues and says, but how do I pick a new ceiling color? Should it be the same color of the kitchen ceiling to give it continuity? I don't want a million colors, but I also am not sure if the kitchen ceiling color works. And I'm not sure how to pick a dining room color that won't jar with the rest of the open floor plan. Current color is too yellow-brown. Also, I'm not sure if this rises to the level of a decorating dilemma, but I suspect other listeners have this question, or maybe you can discuss in the future design interviews. Dining dining room rugs. So lovely, but the one I tried, it's just got disgusting. I love how they look in the dining room, because dining rooms tend to be a little sparse than other rooms. Between kids and large family holiday gatherings, spaghetti sauce, pot roast, red wine, and everything everything that ends up on the floor. I'm not really interested in ruggables, and I think an indoor-outdoor rug might look weird. Any ideas? Do people do this, or is it just photos on Instagram?
0: Art.
1: <laughs> and then, Caroline, do you want to describe the space a little? So, the living room is sort of this very terracotta
0: color and then the dining room is sort of um a, a dark brown gray with sort of a taupe ceiling and then she's also got her kitchen which has the same wall color sort of that gray dark gray with a taupe ceiling in the kitchen with some wood cabinetry so the paint paint's tricky barbara do you want to give it a stab
3: <laughs> yes absolutely I must say it's probably the first time that I've ever seen all the ceilings painted in a house, especially such dark colors. I maybe have seen very kind of off-whitey ceilings, but I think that um, clearly the person that lived here before liked paint a lot. And I think what the uh, what Celtic is saying um, is that she maybe doesn't love paint quite as much as the person. That lived there before. So let's help her with that. Um, my first, I mean, ideally, you would paint everything white and then start over. But if your budget doesn't allow that, then let's go with with what I would advise with, with what you have here. Um, I would absolutely start by painting all the ceilings white. It's just going to make your house look that much more stylish acceptable and you know there's nothing wrong with those ceilings you tend to paint over things when there's something wrong with it I think if you made them all white your house would immediately become much lighter and brighter I think you have a lot of good natural light I don't know quite know where south is Um, you said that the uh, the living room has morning light so I don't quite know which direction it goes but going with the dining room Let's do take it room by room now if once we have our ceilings white let's take it room by room. So the dining room has that yellow kind of mustard ceiling and mustard walls on the um, on the window side and then the opposing walls are what seems to be a dark gray. I think if you just took all the mustard and painted it white and left the dark gray, you would have to have something to start with. And then if you felt that those white walls were too stark, and I think it's going to lighten the whole downstairs space up because you're going to get a lot of light reflecting off that white into your living room as well, which will then hit your white, newly white painted uh, white ceiling in the living room. So that will brighten it up as well. You still have the coziness of the walls in there, but your, your ceiling will just make it that much lighter. So um, then I would take by three very lovely paintings and put them on that wall, on the wall to the left of your um, dining room window one, maybe a mirror in the middle and then another lovely painting on the right. That way the mirror will reflect anything that's happening in the rest of the house. So you're bringing some color back onto that wall. Um, And um, yeah, I think that would really help that dining room. I wouldn't worry so much about rugs in there Personally, I like wooden floors, and I don't think you, you need a rug in there. I think the way the light reflects off those floors is really beautiful. I would just see how it looks when you've done those two things. You don't have drapes there. Maybe put drapes on those two windows. Maybe that will make it a little cozier in there, and will do the job of the uh, of the uh, the rug. And then one other thing. Your hallway, the staircase, um, is also painted some kind of mustard color, I think, as far as I can tell. I would, that piece that is on the stair, below the staircase, that wall, I would paint that white also because you get light coming in from your front door that will hit that wall and that will also bring it into the living room. And I think, again, it it will create a better sense of space if you make that white. Now, I don't know what the ceiling is in the hallway, absolutely make it white. Um, I think, and then I would live with the, with the terracotta in your living room. I think you probably find You'll be fine with that. I think maybe add some pieces in the living room that reflect that color, like your blue pillows should maybe be a little bit more matchy to, to the, um, to the walls. But yeah, that's, that's, and I don't know if there's a rug in there, but I would come up with some kind of kilim that picks up. The colors of that terracotta red maybe some orange just make it really warm in there the reason i liked the white ceiling and you as you explained it's like because the trim
0: is so white everywhere mm-hmm. it, it will it's it creating all these lines yeah. all these very busy very stark lines and so having the ceiling be white will just sort of i think cut some of those lines in half so there aren't so
3: many you know what i mean and well, feel- definitely the lines on the edges of the ceiling, you will right, definitely right. Yeah. take those out. And I'm looking at that main picture of the living room where you see the French doors in the living room. You have the very busy little windows with the white around it. Then you have a piece of black or dark gray and you have white again and then you have mustard. If that was all white, it would just calm the room down so much. I actually mm-hmm. think that that gray yeah. wall. It, I think the gray wall is in the kitchen, not in the dining room. So, assuming that the dining room is has got the uh, the mustard all the way around, I would just go with white there, and then eventually see if you want to make maybe one. I wouldn't. I, I would just go with great art and mirrors in the uh, and flowers. You know, I don't see any flowers in this oh, house. That's yeah. a very Dutch touch. I would just get great big vases and just uh, that dining room should always have just imagine that dining room with a, va- a, a vase of flowers and the chandelier is nice and then a mirror behind that that room would be and, and drapes that'd be stunning know, nice yeah. drapes. it would be transformed yeah i
0: love your idea about skipping the rug and doing drapes especially because you get that great view of the dining table and you're totally right that the, yeah. the gray is the kitchen not the dining room. Yeah. Um, the yeah. table kind of threw me off. But yeah. Yeah. I know uh,
3: I wasn't sure either. But yeah. I think the
0: drapes will really create a that more of a focal point there where yeah. it's yeah.
3: and that softness. I don't have a I don't have a rug in my dining room. So, I No, for the obvious reasons, I think she's right. She uh, Yeah. I mean, she said I would also try and tile underneath the cabinets, you know? If you don't want to paint, I would tile underneath the cabinets. Mm-hmm. Just use a nice tile. Pick a nice tile. I mean, maybe that this is all a lot of work. So if it's too much, just go with the white ceilings and and a white dining room and the white the white panel on the stairs. But she has a great space, and I just it looks so sunny
0: in this living room. Yeah, and it looks so warm and t- and and
3: cozy. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. So, it's great. It's just that it's a little too busy with 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 all the trim and the different mm-hmm. colors. But I think it's great. It could be lovely. I'd love to see it actually once it's done. We can see the after pictures.
1: We do. So we do request. we usually yes. like, Yes. Oh, brilliant. So good. 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 Send <laughs> after photos.
0: Well, Barbara, can you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your work,
3: all that good stuff. Buy your book. Buy my book. Your local independent bookstore, <laughs> and if they don't have it, make them order it. <laughs> That's what I recommend. And then there are obviously the unnameable obvious places. That is my book, and it's coming home, modern rustic, creative living in Dutch Interiors. My Instagram is Going Dutch Interiors, because Going Dutch was the first title that I worked with, and I got the Instagram right away. So it's going Dutch Interiors, but if you look up Coming Home, it should come up come up as well. And then Facebook is my name, Barbara DeVries. And then I have a portfolio website where you can see all my work over the years. And that's my name, Barbara dot net. And I think that's all, right? And Yes, get everybody to listen and and look at the book, and I hope everybody will be uh, inspired yeah. by it. And thank you, thank you yeah. for for yeah knowing it so well as well. I mean, I'd really like that you really looked at it, and I appreciate that. Thank you. We do you love books. Yeah, it was beautiful, we we're book do. people. Yeah. Good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll send you a copy when uh, when it's out. like yes. that. Yeah, I would love that. For that sure. would be wonderful. Well, thank you well, thank so thank much you. for being here.